you'll have to um, you'll have to excuse me today uh, if I sound a little snotty. My voice is a little messed up. I'm uh, just got back from the doctor and uh, I'm pretty sick, so um, uh, maybe some coughing and some things like that going on. I hope you uh, can overlook it, overlook that. Um, if, as we look at uh, Job chapter seven. Um, we're regardless of of who you are, what's going on in your life right now, um, there will inevitably be a time in this life when you go through some pretty intense suffering. It it may be that you lose someone you love very much, or you know some type of natural disaster that affects everything in your life. Uh, you know something like that may come, or uh, you know on the flip side, it may be that. You just live a wonderful life, and you're as blessed as Job was. Uh, but even if that's so, there there will come a day when you will uh, you'll eventually grow old and get sick, and and suffering is going to come into your life. I I often remind the patients in the hospital where I serve as the chaplain that there is a there is a coming day when all of us are going to end up in a in a hospital bed. I mean, unless the Lord returns or we pass away suddenly in an accident or something like that, we're we're uh, we're all headed in that direction. So you can rest assured that while Job's dilemma may not be that applicable to your life in this very moment, um, there will come a day when it it most certainly will be, and um, oh, and it'll be applicable to uh, someone who's suffering that needs your help, needs your counsel. Um, so, um, you know, on the other hand, there aren't many people that really have not already experienced some kind of pain or suffering or tragedy uh, in this life, no matter no matter what the particular circumstances of the suffering that we endure, the, the same questions always arise. The, the person who believes in God, you know, even, even if they don't, aren't truly born again, but simply believe in the existence of a God, uh, will inevitably ask the question, God, why are you letting this happen? Uh, what, what have I done to deserve this? What, why are you doing this to me? Uh, those questions just seem to resurface no matter who's going through what or, or when it happens in your life. Uh, I'm sure it wouldn't take much brain power for you to remember a time in your life when you question God like this. Most of us have. Um, well, uh, chapter 7 in the book of Job, it's not really going to provide us with definitive answers to these questions just yet. Um, we'll see that in subsequent chapters. But what we do see is that as Job continues his speech from chapter 6, he begins to despair about life in general and specifically about his particular situation. And then in uh, uh, the second part of the chapter, Job, will, he'll, he'll start questioning God. And uh, this questioning of God will seem, you know, it'll seem very familiar to those of us who've been through suffering and sought answers from God. So uh, hopefully... Hopefully you can learn something from from the questions Job's going to ask and how he's going to get about it. Uh, verse one and two of chapter seven read: Has not man has not man a hard service on the earth, and are not his days like the days of a hired hand, like a slave who longs for the shadow, and like a hired hand who longs for his wages? Uh, here Job is he's continuing the speech he began in chapter six. 
Uh, and in chapter 6, Job goes uh, to great lengths to show his uncompassionate friends that his complaint is justified because he doesn't know of of any unrepentant sin or any other reason why God would have cause to punish him. He He's telling his friends that, that they're wrong in suggesting that God is against him because he's going through this and he needs to uh, turn in repentance. Um, he begins chapter 7 by comparing his life to that of um, a struggling laborer. Uh, he says, Mankind's days are filled with hard service on the earth, and he compares them to that of a hired hand. Um, you shouldn't probably think about the phrase hired hand uh, like a, a regular worker would be in our modern day. Uh, for us, you know, a hired hand is just, just a guy who's hired to do a job. He does the job, he gets paid, he goes home. The kind of hard laborer that Job is talking about here is probably more like poor domestic or agricultural servants who 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 labor away in desperate need of uh, of each day's wages. Sometimes it's hard for us to grasp, you know, the plight of of many of the people in the ancient world, but the idea is that the person you know goes to work that day to make enough money to eat for that night. Uh, for many people in the ancient world, someone in the household had to go, you know, you had to go out and make a wage. Uh, you had to buy something to eat and then you had to bring it home. There were no refrigerators or ways of storing food for inordinately long periods of time. Um, so if the person didn't go out and work, they didn't eat. It's just as simple as that. Can you uh, imagine the desperation and the constant uncertainty of of living like this. Uh, most of us, especially in America, live with some semblance of security. Even if you're even if you're worried about bills or how to make ends meet, stuff like that, most of us, we have enough food, we have a roof overhead, uh, things like that. Even if there's, things are scarce, uh, you're not constantly worried about where my next meal is coming from. But in the ancient world, the hired hand longs for rest from his labor, but he also looked with... Um, desperation for the end of the day's wage so he could eat and feed his family uh, and purchase the necessities of life. So imagine what kind of life this was that Job is comparing his his life to. Uh, you'd long not just for you know not just for uh, the day to be over, but you would long for some lasting peace, some lasting ease or some release from the torments of fear, worry, striving simply to survive, just like a Slave longs for the shadow, which means he wants to sit in the shade and relax. The person who is enduring, you know, this this kind of suffering, he just longs to be free from the tensions and the and the and the and the, and the torments of it. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, there would be no satisfaction to be had, really, because as soon as you and your family had eaten, you know, for the night, you would be full and. Immediately, your mind would be going to, okay, where's my next meal coming from? Where's my next, uh, am I going to be able to go to work tomorrow? Is the job still going to be there? Am I going to, you know, what if I get sick? You know, all these things, it would just be a uh, endless, an endless toil of, of worry and despair, wondering if, you know, if everything's going to be okay. Uh, so as we look, uh, look in Job is, Job is, uh, he finds himself longing for rest, uh, but it, but he can't find he can't find rest. He's longing for that evening. The evening time is is when workers have rest. The evening time is when workers get paid. 
the fact that eating time is probably the only joy that the, the workers have in their life. And Job is looking for the the evening, so to speak, of his life, um, but it just doesn't come. Verse 3 says, uh, So I am allotted months of emptiness, and nights of misery are appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, When shall I arise? But the night is long, and I am full of tossing till the dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens, then breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. So Job is hes simply just drowning in the anguish of his suffering. The turmoil and agony of his suffering is just its unceasing. It never lets up. His months are full of emptiness and the nights are long because he can find no ease from his pain. Um, this may sound like a, yeah, it probably will sound like a really dumb comparison, but it reminds me about um, a person who once described the pain of what a kidney stone is like. Now, you know, I know comparing Job's suffering to kidney stone is a little bit ridiculous, but um, the point is that it's a pain that you can't get away from. I've never had one, but uh, I've had it explained to me by people who have. Now, I have had plenty of injuries and, and pains, broken bones, pulled muscles, things like that. Uh, I've had three knee surgeries, torn ligaments, torn tendons, stuff like that. There was some serious pain involved in those things. But there was always some way I could position myself that would ease the pain. You know, when I had my first knee surgery, man, it was excruciating. It it seemed like every time I moved, even just a little bit, there was this shooting, agonizing pain. But but there were times when I could ease the pain by lying still or, or positioning my leg a certain way. And uh, the thing about a kidney stone is that there's it's just no way to get away from it. Uh, no matter how you move or how you try to sit, there's just there's just no way that the pain is is going to be uh, eased. And, and Job's pain was like this. He he just couldn't get away from it. He slept with it. He rose up in the morning with it. It was just always there. There was absolutely no ease for his suffering, no matter what he did. His skin continually hardens and then breaks out and sores again. Uh, it's just over and over and over. There's just simply no end to his pain and acne. It just feels like suffering is just a, a continue. It's going to be a continual fact of reality for Job. Um, it just grows and grows, never goes away. It's always there. Um, I think for Job, this seems like it's more unbearable than even the pain itself. You know, the fact that it, it just is never going to go away, or so he thinks. Um, there's just no ray of hope. There's no light at the end of the tunnel that things will ever be any different than they are now. Verse 6, he said, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to their hope without, I mean, they come to their end without hope. Um, sometimes when we're facing suffering or pain or despair or anything, anything of that nature, really, the the suffering and the despair, the depression is it's made worse by the notion that this is just how life's going to be until you die. Um, people can tend to be able to get through the toughest things. Uh, even things that are unimaginably agonizing when there is even the smallest glimmer of hope. Hope is a powerful thing. If there's if there's any hope at all, a person can pretty much endure anything. I have um, seen parents who've lost children in the most unimaginably horrific ways. I've seen them endure the suffering uh, because they had hope. Their hope rested in the fact that they would you know, one day be reunited with their loved one because of what Christ did on the cross. And, you know, they would have eternity to spend with them. 
Um, but on the other hand, I've, I've also seen people completely buckle under the pain of far easier circumstances because you know, they just simply simply couldn't find any hope in, in anything. There was just no hope. And I think that's where Job finds himself. And, and I think that's where we find ourselves a lot of times. Even though we go through suffering, even though we go through pain, um, there is a, a darkness about it, a, a despair about it that says, um, you're never going to get over this. This is the way you're going to be. This pain is a lasting pain that's going to, it's going to last forever, and you're never going to be done with it. You're never. It's not necessarily a valley that you're going through. It's, um, it's going to be your reality from now on, and that tends to spiral us down into even more uh, despair, even more depression, even more uh, suffering. And I and I think that's what Job's going through here. What we see is that Job is definitely uh, fitting into this category. He's lost all semblance of, of of hope, and he's lost hope in life, and he's he's even lost hope in in God's protection. Verses seven through ten say, uh, verse seven says, "Remember that my life is a breath. My eye," he says in verse seven, "my eye will never see good again." My eye will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. While your eyes are on me. I shall be gone. For Job, um, restoration to his former life, it just seems hopeless. There's there's simply no coming back from what he's experienced, uh, you know, or so he thinks. Um, and this is the case with so many people. When someone is in the hospital and they're facing hard decisions or, or hopeless uh, diagnoses, the, the one thing people need is hope. They need to know that that life is not over, no matter what the the prognosis is. Um, once again, I've I've been in the presence of people in their last few moments of life, um, you know, on this earth when they were completely without hope and terrified about what was going to happen. And I've also been there when the last few moments of a person's life are are filled with joy and hope as they look forward to spending you know eternity with Christ and the loved ones have gone on before them and. It just seems like Job's words show us which way his heart is turning at the moment. He he doesn't believe that his eyes will ever see good again, and he doesn't believe that God will deliver him. He's he's um, he's losing hope. That's what it seems like. And verse uh, nine and ten, uh, it, it just seems like Job's only solace is the fact that he's going to be dead soon, which is which is not much hope. Uh, verse 9 says, And the cloud fades and vanishes, so he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. Uh, he returns no more to his house, nor does he place, nor does his place know him anymore. Um, the restoration of Job's life and health is looking more and more like an impossibility. Death is going to find him before he will ever have an opportunity to be restored to anything. Um, so, you know, once... Once death takes hold, the person don't come back. Now, you know, of course we know that there is life beyond the grave, and I think Job knew that as well, but Job's use of the idea of Sheol, of death, uh, is is that of the grave. He understands that, that men don't come back to earth once they're dead. Um, he doesn't find any hope in ever being brought out of his suffering 
in this life. He he doesn't find any hope of ever being brought out of suffering before death takes him. He, you know, death for him is coming, and uh, it's only going to be a short time. And there just doesn't seem hope that he's ever going to have any semblance of a life again. Um, so, what does a person do when there seems like there isn't any hope? What do what do we do when suffering takes us down the road of despair and desperation? Uh, when the only light at the end of the tunnel is uh, <laughs> it's just another train, you know, about to run you over. Um, where does a person turn? Now, you know, of course we know that God is Job's only option. Yet, people like Job, you know, and people down through history, people who go through suffering, they turn. They tend to turn to God first with complaints and questions before they turn to Him. You know, in trust and faith, and and Job's no different. Um, in this next section, Job's going to bring his complaint against God. In verse eleven, he says, "Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth." You know, since death is all that Job has to look forward to, he might as well give voice to the anguish of his soul. You know, I will speak with the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. I mean, he doesn't have anything to lose. He's already lost everything, and the only thing left for him is to go to the grave. So he might as well bring his complaints to God before, you know, because he won't have another opportunity. Um, His first complaint is one that uh, many pastors and counselors have often heard and, and will hear again. And he basically asks, why is God doing this to me? Um, if you've ever been through anything, I'm sure that you've asked that question. Or if you've ever counseled somebody going through anything, I, I'm sure you've heard that question asked. Verse 12, Job says, Am I a sea? Am I the sea or a sea monster that you set a guard over me? He, Job's wondering why God is taking such an interest in making him suffer. Why in the world has God singled me out and brought all this anguish and agony down on my head? Do you think, do you think I'm some monster? You know, do you think I'm some personification of evil, some sea creature? Um, that you've taken it upon yourself to dispatch your justice on me? Uh, Basically, he's asking, you know, what great evil have I done that these things are befalling me? It's the same thing you and I I have asked. Why why are you doing this to me? Why, what have I done to you? And, you know, for us with a theological foundation under us, we know that that's a dangerous question because the, the reality is we've done plenty. Um, the better question to ask is why has God waited this long to dispense justice? Or why does God bless anybody at all? Because the Bible says there's none good, no one, not even not even one. Now we know that Job is, uh, God says Job is blameless, but we, we also know that's not sinless. Job, you know, uh, Job made sacrifices for uh, his sin for the sin of his children. He trusted God by faith, and and so when this comes on him, he um, at the beginning earlier we saw where you know Job is uh, holding fast to his faith, and and now we see here these questions start to creep in, and you've asked them, and I've asked them as well. Even if we have our theological foundation intact. Um, there's some deep part of you, some deep part of me that that asks this question: Why, God? Why are you letting this happen to me? What are you doing? Of course, then you got the next logical question, which is, 
Why won't you just leave me alone? Why won't you just rest? Let me rest. Verses 13 say, when I, when I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I would choose, he says, I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. Job can't even find rest in the most basic things of life. He, he says that when he tries to rest in his bed, uh, thinking that he'll finally get some comfort and sleep, he says that that God terrifies his mind with dreams and visions. Um, it's 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 strange to notice that he doesn't just say that he is plagued with dreams and visions. He says that you, God, are scaring and terrifying me with dreams and visions. No matter what Job tries, he just can't rest. It is as if. God will not give him a moment's peace. It's it's so bad that Job would rather suffocate in his sleep than have to face the torments of of life and of the dreams that God is is bringing to his mind. So from this we see that Job isn't isn't just asking God to relieve his suffering. He's complaining to God for causing his suffering. He's uh, seeking definitive answers from God as to why God is allowing his suffering to continue and why God will not allow him to even have a moment's peace. He, he culminates this thought in verse 16 when he says, I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are but a breath. Job reaches the pinnacle of his complaint by simply just telling God, hey God, leave me alone. Uh, he simply just wants God to stop it. He doesn't. He doesn't want to live forever. He doesn't have to have eternal. You know, he doesn't have to have life eternal on the planet. He doesn't have to have all his sickness gone. All he wants is uh, ease from his suffering. Um. He 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 doesn't want to live forever. He doesn't want his sickness. You know. Um, to never come back or something like that. There there'll come a day when life will be over. And he's anticipating his death, so he's saying, "God, why can't you just just leave me alone and let me be? Let me have the last few days, or weeks, or months, or however long I've got left. Let me have those." Now, what advice would you give Job at this point? Um, I kind of want us to think about that for a minute. Let's say that. You were one of the friends that's sitting around Job, listening to Job go on and and on about his circumstances. Um, What would be your advice? The only thing that we have that Job's friends don't is what God showed us in the first two chapters of the book. We know why God is allowing all this to come upon Job. We know that you know that it has nothing to do with Job's sin or some evil that God sees in him. We know that this is a test of Job's faith brought about at the urging of of you know his arch enemy Satan. So knowing all this, what would be what what do you think would be the the best advice if we could holler into the book and say, "Hey Job, what do you think would be the best advice we could give him?" If uh if you're like me, you would probably be saying to him, Job, just hold on, man. There, There is hope. Don't give up and don't fall into the trap of despair. God loves you and he is with you. That would be some good advice in this situation, wouldn't it? But, I, I mean, I can tell you firsthand that if you go to a suffering person spouting what sounds like religious cliches, they probably won't be particularly appreciative 
Um, when a person's going through the midst of suffering, sometimes they aren't ready to hear uh, that there's hope and that God is doing something good in all this. Uh, um, you know, I, just today I visited a woman in the hospital who gave birth to a stillborn child. He was 24 weeks, and when I was uh, when I was in there as as a chaplain to pray with her, I I could feel the agony and the pain she was going through. There, there are just simply no magic words to make the hurt go away in those situations. I mean, all we can do is is point to the hope that we have in Christ and understand that through whatever suffering we go through, God's with us. Um. We just need to hold on. And so after I left her room, I could hear her start crying louder than before. And and, and really all I could do was pray. I didn't know if something I said or something that I had prayed upset her, you know, even more than she was before. Or if she was just, you know, she was just continuing the process of grieving. But the one thing I do know is that in that moment where there is nothing but pain and hurt and agony, when it just doesn't seem like there's any hope, the last thing you want is some religious guy Busting in your room telling you everything's going to be okay and everything's going to work out and God has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, in her situation, you know, everything wasn't okay. And it's, me saying that it's it's okay is not going to make it okay. In fact, it it might be a little offensive to someone in that situation. So I can sh- I'm, I'm sure you can see where it may not be the best course of action with a person in the midst of despair, but, but wouldn't you also agree that in this case, in Job's case, that would be the best advice to give him. God is working for good in Job's life. Job's suffering is uh, something we see all the time. It's, it's redemptive suffering. It's the same kind of suffering Christ uh, experienced. Well, not the same kind, but it's similar to it had a redemptive purpose, just like Christ's did. Uh, Job's suffering is going to end up to make him more like Christ. God hasn't left Job, nor is God punishing Job for for something he did. In this instant, Job does need to just hold on. Job does need to trust that God has a plan and that everything is working for his good. So the point of all this for you and I, it's really simple. Uh, We need to have this theological foundation under us before suffering comes. When... Uh, we need to understand that suffering is going to come no matter who you are. We live in a Genesis 3 world. It's a it's a fallen world where sin is everywhere. It's a world that, that God also redeems through suffering. So suffering can have good outcomes as well. And these, these concepts aren't hard for us to grasp. The problem is that when we're the ones going through the pain of suffering, they're hard to hold on to. Um, sometimes we have to fight to trust Him through through the devastating effects of of suffering. We have to fight um, just to hold on. And when there doesn't seem to be any hope, then our reason for just holding on, just it, it seems to go away. But the, regardless of how we feel, um, God's Word said that there is hope. That there is hope, regardless of what circumstances we go through. In Christ, we have hope. And so... In verses uh, 17 through 21, Job's going to end his first speech by questioning God's actions against him. Uh, he's uh, He doesn't really have anybody around him telling him to hold on, that God is with him. His comforters are telling him that God is against him. <laughs> and so Job, Job is just flat out refusing to accept the fact that he deserves what is happening to him. 
because of some secret sin, some thing that he knows about that's hidden that no one else sees. Uh, but he does understand that the, the reality that God is in control. Nothing's happening on this earth or in this universe that God is not sovereign over. And that's a hard truth for us to take, too, when we're the ones going through suffering. Uh, verse 17 says, What is man that you make so much of him, and that you set your heart on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me, nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? Um here Job is continuing to ask, why won't you just leave me alone? Why does God feel the need to come and torment me every moment with suffering and anguish? Won't there be a time when he's finished? I mean, won't there be a moment when you'll let this all this suffering ease? Not only does Job continue to ask these questions, but he begins to question God's fairness. Now, this is where we got to be really careful and tread really lightly because um, when you start questioning God's fairness, you step into an arena um, characterized by either grace or judgment that as, sin, as a sinful man, you probably don't want to be in. Um, because calling God unfair is um, it's a risky proposition. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous on its very face in any circumstances. God, everything God does uh, beneficial for us is by grace, and everything He does um, that is uh, seen as suffering or anguish for us is out of, you know, it's out of justice. It's out of, uh, you know, it's working toward our good uh, because we are the called according to His purpose. But there is no God is a just God, and there is no... Um, you can't cry foul to the one who runs the universe. <laughs> you know that it's not. Uh, we don't have the information that that he has. It reminds me of a, a story about a cricket that you know he's just doing all he can do, and he's living. It's all spring, and their life is good, and he's there in the field, just you know, got everything he needs, and he's just happy go lucky. And all of a sudden, he hears the the plow coming, he hears the the oxen coming, he hears the the or the tractor coming, however you want to do it. And then all of a sudden, the foundations of his world are just turned upside down. Now, you know, as the the plow moves over, it just it just uproots everything that he knows, uproots everything that that he has, and and to him, the world's ending. You know, but to the farmer who's behind the plow or riding on the tractor, you know, are the foundations of the world ending? No. Uh, he's plowing because he's looking for a harvest. And although the cricket doesn't know it, you know, when the harvest comes, it's going to be more beneficial for him uh, as well that that ground is plowed up. So the things that God does are right and they're just. And so we have to be very careful when we start questioning God's fairness. Verse 20 says, Job says, If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. He's saying, you know, God, I, I'm no more of a sinner now than I was back then. Uh, I'm no less sinful now than I was back then. And all those years, God, you blessed me and you, uh, you know, you allowed me to sacrifice 
uh, on the altar for the, my sins, for the sins of my family. You gave me forgiveness. You gave me blessing. You gave me all these things. You, you allowed me to trust in you and forgave my sin. What has changed now is what Job's saying. Why have you set you know, your sights on me uh, all of a sudden? Why have you, you know, why have you uh, all of a sudden decided that you're going to mete out all your wrath toward me? Um, I haven't done anything different. Uh, he asked, have I sinned? You know, have, what have I done to you? Um, all sin is, is violence against God's nature. We know that. And he, he says, why, why have I become your target? Why won't you pardon me? Why won't you remove my sin? And he's just repeating his hopeless state. And so what we're going to see is in the midst of Job's suffering here, um, in the next chapter, um, we're going to see that once again, he's offered uh, a graceless religion. He's offered a, uh, a works righteousness, a play to a pay to play um, religion that makes no room for grace, that makes no room for redemptive suffering, that makes no room for uh, God working through uh, uh, agonizing times for the good of, of mankind. What we're going to see is just a, a two-dimensional flat, you know, if you do good in this life, God will give you good in this life. And if you do bad in this life, God will give you bad in this life. And we've seen that before. And, and so often that's where our minds go to when the reality is Job... Uh, he just needs to hold on. He just needs to hold on that uh, all is going to be made known to him.